Well, um, you know, I think singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel helps always get me in the kind of Christmas, uh, you know, frame of mind. And also, uh, you know, it's for Hawaii standards, it's kind of winter out there. It's pretty cold. Um, you know, some of you are starting to, you know, break out your uh, sweaters and your your jackets and you know maybe last night was a two blanket night maybe a three blanket night um, you know that's that's good you know I think this uh, is gonna be a surprising Christmas I think it's just gonna kind of people don't know what to do and it's gonna kind of just jump up on us and before we know it it's gonna be gonna be done and that's why I've you know wanted to start early of us thinking about and being intentional about about Christmas and the whole idea of just focusing just sim- on a simple Christmas. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about, you know, who is, who is Jesus? And we, we came to a couple of things. We talked about him being uh, the Son of God, the Word become flesh, and the Savior. And then we talked about, you know, what did he come to do? And of course, with the word Savior, we know that what he came to do was he came to, to save the world and to save us from our sins. But he also came to reconcile us to God. And so today we're going to look at another aspect of, you know, what did Jesus come to do? I wanted to share with you, though, a few more lines from uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. And this is a scene where Charlie and Lucy are, are talking. And, and those of you familiar with the whole kind of peanuts and, um, you know, kind of stories and all, you know that Lucy is also a psychiatrist. And she charges, I think, a nickel to get her wonderful advice. And she usually has a little, you know, thing set up where she has a little kind of like a table, kind of like this, where she, you know, she's talking. And, and usually her main um, patient is Charlie. And so they're, they're talking, and um, Charlie says, you know, actually, Lucy, my trouble is Christmas. I just don't understand it. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. Lucy says, you need involvement. You need to get involved in some real Christmas project. How would you like to be the director of our Christmas play? Charlie responds, me? You want me to be the director of the Christmas play? Sure, Charlie Brown. We need a director. You need involvement. We've got a shepherd, musicians, animals, everyone you need. We've even got a Christmas queen. And of course, she's referring to herself. Charlie says, I don't know anything about directing a Christmas play. Lucy says, don't worry, I'll be there to help you. I'll meet you at the auditorium, incidentally. I mean, I'll meet you at the auditorium. Incidentally, I know how you feel about all this Christmas business getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. What is it you want? real estate. So this is Charlie and the, the, you know, the whole story of Charlie Brown is that Charlie is the only one who's really being honest. He's the only one who's looking past, you know, all the glitz and glamour and the Santa and the, you know, all the decorations and the gifts. And, and he's realizing that 
that at best that's simply masking over the feelings that he has, you know, throughout the year. This feeling of, of you know, not really knowing what not just Christmas is all about, what really what life is all about. You know, why is he here? What's the purpose? And, and he's the only one who's honest. Everyone else so far that, you know, when we're going, when we're watching the show, everyone else has somehow been deceived. And it's a really good picture of our world because many people settle for less because they've been deceived into believing that is all there is. If you believe that what you have is, is you know, on the scale of what you could have is, is, pretty, is pretty high, then, then you're good. But you have to realize you have the wrong scale. That your scale is, is, is totally off if you think that all you can have are the things of this world. If you think that all that matters is, is the stuff of this world, if you think that all that matters is simply, you know, your say, personal happiness or your personal entertainment, that that's all that matters, then you've been deceived. And it's not a new thing. People have been deceived as long as there's been people. Because people have you know, struggled and searched for purpose. They want to know meaning, like Charlie. But what ends up happening is they, they either d decide there is no meaning, or the only meaning that there really is is one that they can make for themselves, or they adopt someone else's, someone else's meaning, someone else's purpose, and they never really embrace the truth that we find revealed from God and that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come to this, this text that we're going to look at today and asking the question, you know, what did Jesus come to do? What did he come to do? And one of the things that we're going to realize today is he came to, to really let us understand all, all that, that we can be, all that we can experience. He came to help us see the true you know, scale of, of what matters most. So the story we're coming to is in, is in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And leading up to this, Jesus is actually responding to this situation that it kind of went kind of sideways in a way, not for Jesus, but certainly for a lot of the people involved, because what happens is Jesus comes and he heals this a blind man. And you might think like, okay, he heals a blind man. That's awesome. Everybody's happy. Well, not everybody's happy. When the blind man goes and presents himself to the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of the day, they're not happy. They're not happy that, um, that, first of all, not so much that this guy can see, but they're not happy that Jesus is the one who's being given credit for helping him see. 
And in their, you know, kind of interaction with the blind man, they eventually throw him out. And it seems like that's a physical thing, but it also seems like it's a, it's a thing of, you know, you're going to follow this Christ, you're going to believe in this Jesus, then they're actually kicking him out of just even being part of the Jewish community. Well, then Jesus is, is, starts to interact with them. And one of the questions that they ask him is, are we also blind? Are we also blind? Have we also been deceived? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Now, we know something about the Pharisees, and we know it from the Gospel of John, and we know it from when we talked about Nicodemus, that there were some Pharisees that would have genuinely asked this question. They would have been asking Jesus this question because they want to know how they have been deceived, how they've been blinded. But in this situation, it's not necessarily the case. Perhaps some of the ones that were really seeking truth, perhaps some of them were kind of on the outside. But the ones that had confronted this blind man, the ones that had rejected this blind man and thrown him out, they weren't really asking this question to say, Jesus, can you, can you clear things up for us? You know, we think we might have a problem. Yet Jesus answers them. He answers them as though they're truly searching for truth. And so he, he, he says some things at the end of chapter 9, but as we go into chapter 10, he starts by telling kind of like a very short parable, and maybe even a couple of them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Well, you know, if I just ask the question, Jesus, am I blind? And then he starts talking about sheep. I'm going to be a little confused here. And it's interesting the way Jesus responds to them because he, do, he doesn't just say the truth directly. Yes, you're blind. He doesn't say that. And part of it's because he knows at least the ones that are directly confronting him don't think they're blind and are really trying to get Jesus to say something that will give them cause to, you know, to have him arrested or, or to discredit him in front of the rest of the people. This is probably not happening in a private room. This is probably happening in public. And one thing you need to remember, and if, if you haven't been to our Bible studies, you might not have ever, you know, you might not know this. The Pharisees are the favorites of the people. We always think of the Pharisees as, you know, because Jesus calls them hypocrites. And we always think of them that way. And we think like, well, everybody must have known they were hypocrites. No. The, the common people loved the Pharisees. They were their heroes. And so Jesus is, is there with the Pharisees, and there's probably other people around. And the Pharisees know the people are on their side. 
And so they're hoping Jesus will say something that will cause a problem, that will, you know, get the crowds to turn against Jesus. And so he says this, that, you know, you have to think about. You have to try to understand exactly what he's saying. And he's using this story, this parable again of the, of the sheepfold. And if you know what a sheepfold is, it's just a, it's like a big sheep pen. It could have been just a small one or it could have been a huge one that would have been like perhaps at a, near a city or something like that where, you know, you kind of park your sheep for a while. I don't know if you had to put coins in a meter or what, but, but you, you know, you, you would, you could leave your sheep there and, and uh, there would, there would be other groups that might have their, their flocks there too. But he's saying, like, if, if you're a shepherd of the sheep, you don't kind of crawl over the wall. And the point that he's, he's making, and he's going to bring this point home in the next you know, few verses, is that there are these thieves and robbers that have come into the sheepfold. And in a figurative way, he's saying, you Pharisees, you're the thieves, you're the robbers. So the first thing when we think about what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to do? Well, in these verses, he came to save us from false teachers. I could even say he came to save us from false teaching. I could even say he came to save us from false religion. I could even say this for us today. He came to save us from false Christianity. When we look back here, we can see there's, there's this, this false teaching, but understand, these Pharisees, in a sense, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. Because they are the best of the leaders. The Sadducees, they're not... They're not interested in keeping the law of Moses. They're only interested in holding on to, you know, their position and their power. They, you know, they're, they're, they're fine with the, you know, maintaining the, the, the sacrifices because, you know, for them that kind of keeps this, you know, unity of the people, but they're not really concerned about anything else. And they're really not concerned about the Romans. In fact, they're kind of happy because they're doing well. They have, they have position, they have power, they have money. Why, why do they care? The, the last thing you want if you're doing well is for things to change. And even though, you know, they might have preferred that they could, you know, be a, their own nation, they don't really care. Because they're the, they're the, ultimate in like being able to adapt you know Romans are in charge we'll adapt you know you know the Jewish people go back in charge we'll adapt but we only change if we have to let's just keep it the same 
That's the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they, they consider it like an abomination that, that Gentiles, Romans, are in the holy land, in the holy city. That that which is unclean has power over them. And it's a constant reminder to them of, of, first of all, the judgment that's come upon them. But it's also a constant reminder that, that they are not their own. They're not their own people. And so they're living these pious lives. They're trying to, to keep the, the laws. And they're doing it because, one, they believe that it's God's law and they should. But they're also doing it because they know that they're holding on to, to that very important distinction that makes the Jewish people the Jewish people. It's more than just the sacrifices. It's more than just the feasts and the festivals. That it's this day-to-day living, faithful living. And so when, when Jesus is calling them false, people don't understand that. And the Pharisees don't understand that. But we do. And the reason we understand it is because of what we talked about in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and probably not the only one, comes to Jesus at night because he knows that whatever Jesus is saying and doing and whoever Jesus is, it is very different from himself and from everybody else he knows. There's something that's different. He's, he's not just maintaining the external you know, things. He's not just simply, you know, keeping the law. There's something different about this Jesus. And he knows it. And what's false about the Pharisees is not what's on the surface. I guarantee you, if a bunch of Pharisees could, like, transport 2,000 years and show up here, we would make them deacons, elders, pastors. Because they would be more devoted, they would be more like consistent and moral and ethical and hardworking than, than any of us. It wasn't what was there on the surface. It's not what people could see. What was false was, was the motivation. What was false was the condition of the heart. That's the problem. That's why Jesus came to even save us from a false Christianity. Because Christianity can easily become what the Pharisees were. It can easily become that we, we, we do all the things Christians do, but the condition of our heart hasn't changed. We're still that same selfish person that we always were. And nothing's changed except... We've learned to use words to make our selfishness not look selfish. We've, we do things to make us feel 
that we're not living for ourselves when in fact we still are. He came to save us from that. And he's saying, you Pharisees, you're the thieves, you're the robbers. And it's, you know, why would the thief and the robber be in the sheepfold? Well, obviously to steal sheep. To keep them from being where they need to be, which is in the, the, the flock of their shepherd. So when we think about this, we think like false teachers, it's, you know, this false teaching, it's not simply that, that they're, they're stealing, you know, and taking you away. But sometimes the stealing is simply that they're taking your time. They're stealing your time. They're, they're stealing your attention. You're spending, you know, so much of your effort and time, you know, going and following after these, you know, these, these false teachings and thinking that they're so important and then, when, you know, when you, maybe you eventually come to understanding that they're, that they're wrong, but how much of your life has been spent following that? You know, it's coming, it's always been there and it always takes on different forms, but you know, with, whenever you have something like, like, uh, like COVID-19 and things like that, it just, it just takes off where, and it's so sad to me, but in the Christian community, people will be like, oh, you know, this is, this is, God's judgment, this is somehow, they're going to look through their Bibles to try to find, you know, COVID-19 somehow referenced somewhere in Scripture. And I, I just, and then you get these guys that get on YouTube and podcasts and they, they, they write about it and, you know, or they talk about it and, and people just spend all this time thinking and talking about all those things. Let me just tell you, someone is stealing from you when your attention should be on Jesus, when your attention should be on his word, you're chasing after these conspiracy theories. You're chasing after all of these, these you know, possible things that really, even if they were true, what could you do about it? You know, in Sunday school today, I, I was joking. I, I think my whole Sunday school class knows me well enough to know I was joking. But someone had asked, like, oh, if you, if you get the vaccine and you're in one of these, you know, elder care homes, how will people know you have the vaccine? And I said, well, what I heard was the vaccine will leave a mark on your forehead that looks like three nines turned upside down. Um, but I'm going to tell you, there's people that that's what they think about. And, and we're, we're drawn to that kind of stuff. It steals from us. False teachers sometimes want to, you know, sell us on fear. Steals from us. Sometimes they just literally want to steal from you. They just want to tell you that if, if, you know, if you'll support, you know, their ministry, that God will bless you. They're stealing from you. Jesus is talking about the false teachers of that day and he's saying that to them and, and you know some of them got it. You know, some of the Pharisees 
knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And of course, this is not making them happy. Some of them are probably scratching their heads and some of them are thinking of sheep. Um, But some of them got it. They know what he's saying. And ultimately what false teachers do is they lead us away from what is right, good, and fulfilling. But then he says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He's going to maintain that that picture, um, but he's going to shift it a little bit. And he's, he's going to start talking about, you know, you know the, the, the door and then the shepherd, and he kind of goes back and forth. But the point of what he's trying to say is that, is that what he came to do, and he's, and he's going to identify himself as the good shepherd, is that I've come to bring you to the Father. Remember, we, we, we read about that in, you know, when we read John 3.16 and we talked about that. And, and, and Jesus talks about this when he, later on in John 14.6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the door. I'm also the shepherd. I'm caring for you and I'm bringing you to the Father. Remember last week we talked about reconciliation with God. That that's the main, you know, one of the main things Jesus came to do was to reconcile us with God. And he's talking about that here, but he's using this imagery of the shepherd. Again, that's a very, for them, that was very familiar. They all knew exactly what he was talking about. You know, if you think about how common sheep were in their day and how common shepherds were in their day. But then you ask yourself, how many, you can probably count on one hand the number of sheep you've actually seen in person or not in person because they're sheep, but you know what I mean, right? You can probably count that. You know, you don't, you know, unless you somehow ended up on a sheep ranch, you, you don't see very many, maybe at a petting zoo and I'm not, I'm not talking about mutton when you're eating. I'm talking about, you know, sheep walking around. We don't see them. You know, do you know, do you know a shepherd? Uh, I don't know any shepherds. So for us, it's not so common, but for them, they, they understand exactly what he's saying. And he continues, he says, to him the gatekeeper opens, The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Again, some of them are kind of sort of getting it, but they it's not connecting. But he's using this, again, very, very familiar image to them. I think I've shown this before, but encourage you to go, not now, but later on, go onto YouTube, search for shepherd in modern city. And you'll see this rather remarkable thing. It's this shepherd in some, I think, kind of looks like a Middle Eastern country or something. And he's got these dozens of sheep 
And he's just walking down the street and they're all following him. And then there's this super busy street, like cars coming. If you've ever been in one of these cities, you know how crazy it is. And, they're, they're, and he's, you're standing there going like, I wouldn't even cross that street. And then he, he starts to cross. And, they, and all the sheep, they follow him across the street. And all, he's not, he's got his staff. He's not whacking them. You know, he's just talking. And they're listening and they're following. It's amazing. And it's the picture that Jesus is saying here is, he came to lead us. He came to lead us. And the reason he leads us is because we know his voice. We know his voice. He's, he's not here to, to, to push us. He's not here to, to drive us. He's here to lead. And he's saying, you know, the, here he says the stranger. He said, they're not going to follow the stranger. They're not going to follow the thief and the robber. If the thief and the robber want to take the sheep, they're going to have to either kill them and carry them, you know, or just carry them. You know, or they're going to have to tie them and drag them. He goes, no. Not, my sheep, they know my voice. And they follow. You see, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about, you know, what is some of the evidence that we are believers in Christ? What is the evidence that Jesus Christ has done in our lives, what he said he would do? And last, you know, last couple of weeks we talked about, well, his spirit is poured out on us and we have this, this love in our lives that we experience. We experience that love, but it's also love that we express that wasn't there before. And it's love that even goes to our enemies. Well, here's another one. Another one is, you want to follow your Savior, which means you want to know his voice. You want to follow his Savior. You want to follow your Savior. You want to follow the shepherd. You want to follow Jesus. But you know to follow him, you need to know his voice. And so you want to know his voice. You see, we, when we study the Bible, when we're here in times of our worship and our message and, and study throughout the week and our personal study and everything else, we don't do that because that's what good Christians do. If you come to church because good Christians come to church, you're missing the point. If you're, if you're, if you're in the word of God because that's what good Christians do, you've got you've gotten it backwards. We want to know God's word because we want to know the voice of our Savior. We want to know the voice of the shepherd so that we can follow. You see, when we turn that off, when we say, I got enough, I got enough, Jesus, I got enough Bible. Pastor, you know, maybe you got some things you could teach me, but you know what, I really don't. You know, my, my Jesus pocket in my brain is pretty full. 
So, you know, just, I, I'm good. Then what you're doing, what you're saying is, I don't really want to know the voice. I just kind of want to generally follow. But I don't really want to know his voice. You see, he's not just leading us anywhere. He's leading us to the life we were meant to live. He's leading us to be the community that we were meant to be. He's leading us to be the kingdom. And he's doing it not just by walking and talking. He's certainly doing that. But he's doing that because he's a teacher. He's a model. He's an example. He's one who goes before in every possible way we can think of that. He goes before us. We look to him. We want to not just follow him. We want to, we want to be like him. He also, in leading us, he, he provides. But it's, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting because he doesn't provide by bringing to us. You know, he doesn't provide by, you know, it, it's one of those, you know, things about, you know, you talk about, uh, what is that, um, teach, you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? Um, it's this idea of, do we, do we bring or do we lead? Well, if Jesus just brings us everything and we just sit there, hey, great, right? I mean, I never have to leave my couch. I can just stay right here because Jesus brings me everything I need. But no, we obtain, we obtain what he provides by following. Remember Psalm 23? talks about the good shepherd, Right? says, he leads me. He leads me to those things. It doesn't say, he brings me a bucket of water. And then he goes and he cuts up my food real nicely and he, and he presents it to me. It says, he leads me beside still water. He brings me to green pastures. He doesn't provide just by bringing us everything we need. But this leading is also, goes along with what's in verse 1 and 2. He's protecting us. He's protecting us. Because there is the false teacher. There is the false teaching. There is the false Christianity, the false religion that sounds really good. It sounds like Jesus. You want to follow it. It seems like he's connecting with all the things that you really care about. And it's easy to get sucked in. How do you know a teacher is a true teacher? Well, the question is, is his, the answer I mean, is his teaching consistent with Jesus? Is he speaking Jesus' words with Jesus' voice? Is he, is he giving you what Jesus would say for the reasons Jesus would say it. How are we going to know this? And it always comes back to this, by the way. 
We know his voice 2,000 years later because we know his word. I can't emphasize that enough. I can't emphasize that we can never know enough of his word. That when the Bible talks about hungering and thirsting after God and after his word, that it's not just using hyperbole. We can never know enough. You know, I, I wrote the letter that I'm going to send to you guys this week. I wrote it yesterday, which is really early. But, you know, just to give you kind of a preview, part of what I wrote in there was of what has been just amazing to me throughout, you know, this time of the pandemic is how many of you are so, so hungry to know God's Word. That some of you are probably doing more Bible study now than you've ever done before. I mean, there's, you know, there's people not just on Sunday morning and listening to our messages later on, but, but there's, you know, our Bible studies in the, on Sunday morning, you know, our, our Monday, our Wednesday, and then so many other things that other people are doing. And some of you are doing stuff I don't even know about. Don't miss that. If you've reached a point in your life where you have not learned and grown significantly over the past 6, 12 months, why? Because, again, the, there's only a couple of possibilities. One is you have arrived at perfect enlightenment. You have the mind of Jesus. And you need to come take my job, and I need to learn from you. You need to teach all of us. And I say that kind of jokingly, but I'm not totally joking because there are people who think they have it. They got it. I know it. I don't need Bible studies for those new Christians. Bible studies for those people struggling, not for me. I just need, you know, just a little to keep me going, but I got it. I'm good. I don't have to hunger. I don't have to thirst. That's, that's, that was another stage of my life. Not now. You know, and again, some of you think like, well, you know, I'm of the age where I'm going to see God any day now. So why waste time really getting too excited about learning? But no, it's every second. Every day, we want to grow. We want to know our Savior's voice. Well, we read in verse 7, he says, they didn't understand that first story. So Jesus says, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find a pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, a couple things we get here. 
The first thing is that Jesus is making really clear they understand he is the only way of salvation. He is the only way back to the Father. He is the only way to be justified and righteous. And if you guys are with us during our Bible studies, you, you know what that means. He's the only way. He's not the, just the best way. He's not a, one of many possible ways. He is the only way. He's the only way that we can be reconciled with God, that we can have a relationship with God. The only way. He says, everyone who came before me, they're thieves and robbers. But the true sheep, they didn't follow them. The true sheep know my voice. The true sheep follow my voice. But notice what he says there at the end also. He says, I didn't come to take. I came to give. And what I came to give them was I came to give them life. And I came to give them life overflowing. Life abundant. Life to the full. You see, what he's doing here is, is he's is he's trying to, to help, you know, help the people understand. Remember, there's this mixed group listening to him. There's these, these just people, there's his disciples, and then there's these Pharisees, and among the Pharisees, you know, there's, there's this, this group and that some of them are just so mad at him, and, and you know, they're, they're jealous, and, and they, they, you know, they're looking for an opportunity to hurt him, and others are, are truly curious. They want to know. And to all of them, he's, he's become more, like, even more direct. And at this point, a lot of them know exactly what he's saying. That he's saying, you, you are the thieves and the robbers. But he's also saying, what I've come to give you I've come to give you life. Now, if we're going to understand what that means, we've got to understand what Jesus means when he says life. Because unfortunately, one of the problems with, with the, in the Gospel of John is that every time Jesus says something that he means a certain way, people interpret it just in a very physical way. So when they say life, they, they, they might just be thinking, like, what does he mean? Does he mean like he's going to give us you know, extra years? Is it, what is he talking about life? And he adds to it abundant life. Life to the full. And I don't have time to do a you know, full study of what you know, Jesus means when he says life in the Gospel of John. But let me just kind of summarize it this way. It has nothing to do with what you own. It has nothing to do with your house, your car, your job. It has nothing to do with how much you have in the bank, your investments, nothing. It has nothing to do with that. 
He didn't, he didn't say, I've come to make you rich. I've come to make you successful. I've come to, come to give you life, to give it to the full. Well, if it's not about all that stuff, if it's not about all those things that, that we think about that defines a good life, what is he talking about? He's talking about the experience we have. The experience we have when our lives are no longer our own. When our hearts have been transformed to be like the heart of God. When we see the world through God's eyes. When we see ourselves through God's eyes. When we, when we love the world with his heart. That when that happens, you will know what life is and it will be overflowing. See, we don't, we don't get a lot of amens for that. <laughs> we, we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, okay, love, that's good. I'll, I can fit a little love in my life. No. You don't understand. It's not fitting a little love in your life. It's God's spirit, God's love taking over your life. Changing your heart, changing your perspective, changing your attitudes. Those things you hold on to for whatever reason. You know, you know bitterness, resentment are just so self-defeating, but you cling to them. Why? Maybe they give you a sense of feeling of control or power. Maybe they're just like comfortable old socks. You've had them for so long, you can't bear to get new ones. I don't know why. But we hold on. We would, you know, we, we, we want to find our, our security in something other than, in, than Jesus. We want to find our fulfillment, our purpose in something other than following Jesus. And when we do, we're not going to know life to the full. No, we're going we're to know just maybe the best that this world has to offer. But we're not going to know the abundant life It's this experience that we have when we not only receive God's spirit, receive his love, but we know the joy of loving with God's love. That the eternal joy that God has in loving us with his love, we can experience that. And that makes life rich. Jesus ends by saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now I'm going to give you like a little warning here. Because with this point and then into next week's message, it's a little depressing. 
Because the point here in verse 11 is, Jesus came to die. You see, when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he doesn't say the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life. He's saying, no, this good shepherd, he will lay down his life. It's going to happen. He came to die. And what we have here is not the picture that we sometimes have of the shepherd holding the cute little lamb in his arms and cuddling it. No. We have this strong Savior who's will, willing to die and in fact is dying for us. He came to die. He didn't just come to live. He didn't just come to show us a way, to give us an example. He came to die. He came to die for us. He is the good shepherd. Let's pray.